magic of the sunstone, you're tuned into the Jewel Riders Archive. Hey, Jewel fans. I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie for the Jewel Writers Archive. I'm so tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just keep that in there. Oh, my God. We haven't even gotten in like 10 seconds and already Chris is exhausted. Oh, well, you know, it's my perpetual state of being, so. I know. You are a silent rock next to me. <laughs> Just a tired rock. Can we just go from here? Or is this sure, here? we'll just keep going. <laughs> Let's take, okay, keep it in here, but take two. Clap. All right. Hey, Jewel fans, I'm Chris. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and I'm Ronnie from the Jewel Writers Archive. Well, I guess we're going to need a take three. Oh my god! I think they know who where they've tuned into, but okay, here we go. <clears throat> Let's switch things up. Hey, Jewel fans, I'm Ronnie, and I'm Chris from the Jewel Writers Archive. That's it usually feels when wrong. you say. Well, that's usually when you say we are here today. So go ahead. <laughs> We're here today. Now that you've made fun of me. <laughs> Talking about Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, 40th anniversary. 40 years of Amethyst. You know, last night I went to go see the Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary screening as well. And I'm like, how, how, how has this happened? Well, I'll tell you how. Each year, one movie gets one year older. And and 40 years have passed since. And now these things are 40 years old. Does that... Answer your question. You know, how did it feel when you read your comics and their <laughs> antiques? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay, well, see, here's the ridiculous thing. So at the archive, I do, I have to admit, use archival-style gloves to handle, like, our cells and sometimes even very fragile things. And I actually use my glove to hold the comics because I didn't want to get the oils from my skin onto the pages. So I guess it truly does show its age where I'm like, I don't want to hurt this thing. I know. It's like, you know, comic pages are from the 80s especially are not exactly a high quality paper stock. Right. So let's back up before you're telling me all about back how up, Star back Wars. Up, back up. Exactly. Yes. Before we talk about everything else. So let's talk a little bit about what are we even talking about? I mean, you want to clue us in on yeah. what exactly Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld is? So for those unfamiliar, Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld is a character who debuted in 1983 from DC Comics. She was part of their sort of early launches of what they would call Maxi series, which were 12 episode, like one year runs of a comic story. Um, another one, another example of this is a comic called Camelot 3000, which uh, sees the King Arthur's court, you know, reborn in the year 3000, just like it says on the tin, you know. And 
in this time period, I don't think there was a lot going on in terms of girls' comics from the major publishers. I mean, I guess we could say that's DC and Marvel at the time. Right. But Amethyst, you know, came on the scene in 1983, like I said. Uh, She was created by three men, the writers Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn, and the artist Ernie Colon, who has since sadly passed away in the last few years. But the two writers are still alive. And I actually found a podcast that interviewed them from, like, last year, even. Oh, great. Are you going to be linking that? I will, absolutely. It's the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. Dollar Bin Bandits. My goodness. You know, it's like when you go into a comic shop and there's the dollar bin. Which is funny because that's where I originally... Because it used to be a 25 cent bin. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that's where I originally found Amethyst. But now I I don't think that we'll have any hope of ever finding her in the dollar bin. I mean, maybe, but probably not. I mean, maybe if you're lucky. Right. Usually, I mean, honestly, now those dollar bins are like comics from the like early 2000s, probably not even from the late 90s. It's it's a lot of like the reboots that I see in the dollar bins now. And I'm like, didn't these used to be the comics from the 80s and the 70s? I'm like, maybe back in the 90s they were. Right, exactly. Not anymore. Now, now those have been moved and now they're antiques and now they're sold <laughs> at a much higher price when they're put in their packages on the wall. You know that the comic has moved up in price when it's now displayed like on the back wall, you know? You know, and if you wanted to display a comic, I have to say the Amethyst artwork is utterly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I found and, myself taking pictures of the covers. Because oh, yeah. I love the artwork. And even one of them that has this really intricate border. I'm like, just thinking the fact that someone sat there and drew all of that by hand, like all those little details to make it kind of look like a filigree, like a mm-hmm. frame or whatever. Like, Are you talking about the very fantasy looking cover? I mean, we can share an image, but yeah. I don't know which one it is. But yes, it's like a gold cover, like the the like the border is golden and it has a lot of like little designs and things like that, like okay. faces. Yeah. And jewels. It has a lot yes. of jewels encrusted. It looks like the sleeping beauty book essentially. Okay. Yes. That's the one. So if that's the one you're thinking of. So to go back to who Amethyst is, Amethyst is a character who is very loosely, I would say connected to the DC universe, especially in the maxi series. And I do want to throw something in here. Um, While we're talking about this princess, Amethyst, um, and, you know, we're going to be divulging some, I guess, plot twists or or outcomes, at least of the Maxi series. So we've been advertising that we're going to be talking about Amethyst for the 40th anniversary. So for anyone listening to this, just beware, we are going to be talking about what happens. So... Be sure to read your comic if you haven't already, but if not, we're going to basically go over some synopsis, and then there's some additional issues. Just like with Avalon Web of Magic, we're only doing the first essential, like, original series, and then you can go on from there. Um, But I also did want to point out that, as you talked about, that maybe not much was going on in the way of girl comics at the time. Um, In addition to that, this is really, I mean, in my opinion... 
Amethyst is basically the OG Western girl, like magical girl, because she's before She-Ra, which is oftentimes like kind of the quintessential magical girl that people reference when it comes mm-hmm. to heroes. Um, you know, she's the original heroine. And I'm I'm, I'm going to talk about this, but especially in the later issues, they were advertising He-Man. Mattel was using advertising space in the Amethyst comics to advertise He-Man. So there's a lot of parallels between like She-Ra and Jewel Riders and every other magical girl kind of after that. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could say that Wonder Woman was kind of like the original you know, magical right. girl. Like, but... we, we were talking about this briefly before we recorded. You know, does Wonder Woman count as a magical girl because she's mythology based? And I don't really have a good answer for that. She's really more in the realm of superheroes, but not that Amethyst isn't, and not that magical girls are not superheroes. Because obviously they are. Because obviously I mean, they are. Jewel yeah. Riders is a superhero, you know. But I think. When you really think of it, it's like a magical girl, like in the sense of like, you know, adventure and a quest and things like that. Like to me, jewelry. Well, (laughs) yes, exactly. Wonder Woman is much more like in league with Batman and Superman and, you know, Supergirl and things like that. Like she might have magic and she might be based in like mythology, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I personally. I do not classify her as a magical girl. So I think, in my own opinion, that Amethyst really is the start of it all. Like, Amethyst is where Western magical girls started. I mean, to my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, there were the dolls in the 70s that Mattel made. um, I think they were called Guardian Goddesses. The Barbie or the... They're like a... They are a Barbie-sized doll... And I believe they're called Sun Spell and Moon Mystic. Mm, yes. And One so of the those, many things that you've hoarded. Yes, exactly. And to me, to me, those are sort of a transition piece between Wonder Woman and Amethyst. But also, those things are just toys. Did or they just have... toys, yeah. There's no media associated right. with them, as far as I know. So, I mean... Sure. I mean, the the idea of a magical girl could have definitely been around. I'm just saying, like, as far as, you know, additional um, media goes. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I'm also just trying to think about it in my head as well. I mean, well, okay, let's let's finish up here and then and then I'll get to my next rant. But yes, in my opinion, I think that this is the the OG Western magical girl. So I think that everything kind of after this really pays is in debt to Amethyst. My thought. Yeah. Once you once you read it and see it, it's hard to look at the things that came afterward as not being influenced or maybe related in some form to Amethyst. Mm-hmm. And so just to give a really kind of brief synopsis of the series. So the series stars the princess Amethyst of of House House Amethyst of Gemworld. Gemworld is a world that's like a parallel world to Earth. And, but time flows differently between the two worlds. So while Amethyst is an early 20-something when she's in Gemworld, on Earth, where she's been raised since birth by 
the her parents uh Herb and Marion Winston. She is Amy Winston and she is 13 years old. And so every time she goes to Gemworld, she becomes an adult, which is a classic magical girl trope. You see it a lot in the Japanese magical girl series of the era, like a creamy mommy and so forth. But that is, you know, the the transformative power of magic. I mean, you see it in He-Man, you see it in She-Ra afterward, you know, characters who, you know, like Prince Adam plays sort of like a, like a fool character, but to protect his identity as He-Man and blah, blah, blah. But this is like really Clark Kent and exactly. Superman. Yeah. You know, but, but this sort of combines that like a, like a secret identity sort of, of superheroes with the sort of portal fantasy things of stuff like the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, another series where time passes differently between the two worlds. Mm hmm. Okay, a little off topic, but I was going to yes. say, you know, I, I was going to say when we we're talking about Wonder Woman, I think that if Wonder Woman and the Star Writers had ever come out, then okay, she could be a magical girl. That's that's <laughs> that's what I was going to say. We'll count her as an honorary magical girl for there the you Star go. Writers. Yes, exactly. And so Amy grows up in a little town on Earth without any knowledge of being from the gem world or what happened there until her 13th birthday, upon which she is delivered a gigantic amethyst stone, which pulls her into the gem world probably before she's really ready to do it. And so there's the element of trying to figure out her powers, what that means. And she's guided in this by, a character called the witch mother Citrina. Mm -hmm. Citrina is basically kind of a fairy godmother-esque character, I would say. Like, extremely powerful magician, wizardess. And, and she her name her name comes from, because we're talking about Gemworld, it comes from Citrine, the right. yellow quartz. Yes, this is this is a series that is highly color-coded yes. based on each of the characters' house, uh, royal house color of the gemstone. So, you know, obviously Amethyst, everything is in purple. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for people from Topaz, it's always yellow. And you know, Princess Emerald. Emerald, or... yeah, literally. Yes. And and these characters are just named after the stones. Like, right. we, should, we should say, like, you know, Amy has no other name on Gemworld than just Amethyst. Amethyst, <laughs> yeah. You know, Prince Topaz is just Prince Topaz. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? What do you do if you have multiple children? <laughs> <laughs> right. You're Topaz one, and you're Topaz two. <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. But it's it's really fun. I adore the sort of '80s color coding of it, and the big bad sort of villain in this, there are 12, 12 houses in gem world, each corresponding to a different gemstone. And the big bad is a character called dark opal. Who's sort of taken over the gem world in amethyst's absence. And before he did that, her parents, her birth parents, the Lord and lady amethyst 
were the sort of de facto rulers of the gem world, you know, the sort of like they kept the peace and they were so wonderful. And, you know, Dark Opal kills them. And that's when Citrina sends baby Amethyst to Earth mm-hmm. to keep him out of her clutches. Out of, sorry, his clutches. Her, keep her out of his clutches. Yes. And so that's the sort of basic setup of the series. And so what did you think of this series coming back to it? I w- let's actually, let's say this. When, when we first found the series, it was 1995. Mm-hmm. So basically what happened was my dad, you know, always trying to expand my media horizons, whether that was, you know, telling me the original fairy tales that the Disney movies were based on or trying to get me interested in other things. When I showed an interest in Jewel Riders, he told me about this other comic series called Amethyst Princess of Gemworld. And as a 10-year-old, you know, I thought that the artwork was fantastic. Um, And... As I said, you know, the covers, like seeing her on the the, the alicorn and seeing all these bright colors and this, you know, magical girl clad in purple with this amazing, fabulous outfit of like a mini skirt, you know, with a dripping in jewels. Like, of course, it's going to be catchy. I mean, whether you're a gay little boy or you're not or you're a little girl, like, you know, it, it's just like something like, wow, I really want to read this. And so as a child, the only reason why I was given this was because of Jewel Riders and because I had shown an interest in magical properties. And obviously it was big enough that, you know, my dad knew about it and he thought it would be something that was fun for his son to read. Um, I, I don't know if the violent nature of the actual media was ever taken into consideration because this was the thing. When we were 10 years old, Chris and I were going to a very conservative school. And previously, I had gone to a Catholic school, which was much more, I think, non-restrictive of really what things kids would bring to school. I mean, we would play Power Rangers on the playground and pretend to defeat each other in battle. Like, so that's what we were doing. And, and for me, it was Shock, like, gasp, violence for I our know, children. Right? I, I, I can't believe you would play that. And, um, and then so going to a different school where Chris and I first met, you know, I was just trying to share something that I had been given and I was like, hey, like, you know, I I was given these comics. Like, my dad said they're cool. Like, you know, let's, let's, you know, go ahead and, like, read them, like, on recess and things like that. And I brought them, and it was basically to share the artwork, share the fact that this was something that was new, something that was cool. And that was about the extent of it. Um So this is time for me to do a lot of um, confession, I guess. Um, I'm going to say right now, I know Chris will just be shocked at all of this, but 
after owning the comics basically since 1995, I have never read the Amethyst comics. And on top of that, because these are other things we're going to be talking about, I have never seen the full series of neither She-Ra, nor Jem, nor He-Man, nor any of that. I mean, I haven't even seen the new episodes of She-Ra, or even My Little Pony. Like, I'm very... Um, living under a rock. Fake but, fan, get out of here. <laughs> what are you doing here? I never claim to be a fan of these <laughs> things. I'm only a fan of what I say. But it's just, I'm I'm letting everyone know. So that way you also understand that for me, this was the very first time ever reading these. And it's not that, you know, I get it, like, okay, am I a poser? I don't know, because I'm not really claiming to be, like, an aficionado of these things. I just like the idea of them. Kind of like Wonder Woman and the Star Writers. I like the idea of it. Like, for me, the idea of She-Ra is cool. And I do know things about it. And I have seen episodes. And it's, like, the same thing with every other magical property. Like, I know things about it enough to, like, held a conversation, obviously, since we've been doing this for, as we found out, eight years. But this is really, I think, it was was a lot of things. I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but I just wanted to start off by saying that, that this was the very first time that I had actually read the Amethyst comics, even though I basically have had them since age 10. And a lot of it was a little shocking to me. I mean, I had no idea truly how violent and in some scenes dealing with rape. Like, how would I have actually understood these things as a 10-year-old? I don't know that I would have. And so reading it today, would it have landed differently? I guess we'll never know. And I'd be interested to hear from other fans listening right now, if you reread these comics with us, did you read them when you were younger? Or is this the first time that you're reading them? Because what was your take on them? Because again, being given this by a parent, because like, oh, well, you like jewel writers, so you'll like this. It's like, uh, Guinevere was never on the verge of being raped twice in one episode. Like, that just, that's not a correlation, you know? And and there's so many other subtle things. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely comes back to the medium, right? Like, comics outside of, you know, Archie and the Sunday Funnies. And Barbie. And Barbie, yes. Which I also had. Yeah, those are great comics. Um, They... They've gotten, you know, progressively darker and more violent as time has gone on. And I think it really, it hits in the 80s in a big way. But I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of violence through the 60s and 70s. I would say the 70s is when it starts to sort of darken in comics. Mm -hmm. After the Silver Age sort of ends in the 60s. And yeah, I did not remember some of the darkness of this series. Like, I mean, obviously like anything that deals with, you know, the murder of the 
heroine's parents is the founding piece of the series. Well, Frozen isn't that horrific. Yes. <laughs> but they weren't murdered, I guess. They just right. died. Yes. And I didn't really remember that from childhood. Now, I have I've obviously previously read the whole Amethyst series. But when it's was been the a, first time? I would say I looked back through my old eBay purchases because I bought the first series off of eBay. And I want to say I bought them, gosh, it was somewhere between 2005 and seven, somewhere in there. I was in college at the time. Gotcha. So you didn't read my original ones. I mean, I read them as a child. Oh, you did? You When you brought them to school. See, you actually took advantage of it. I love the fact that you actually read them because this was the other story to tell how we were talking about being in a conservative place. The whole reason why we said that was because as we were looking at them at recess, our teacher came up to us and basically was like, oh, you can't have comics at school. And I mean, to me, it was like, why? Like, what's wrong with them? And again, it's because to them, it was viewed as something that was very violent media. And he took them away. And now he did end up giving them back to me and said, you know, don't bring them again, which was nice of him. This was also, though, the same teacher who he had us do show and tell week, like, you know, a spotlight student. And I also brought my jewel writer dolls to his class as well. And on top of that, he also had the conversation with us of basically like, you maybe you guys should start having more friends. I, I think you guys should see more people. So it's like, there was a lot with this particular teacher. And oh, us. sure. I mean, it's... He had it out for us, I feel. It's, it's just mid... 90s conservative Christian homophobia. gay panic homophobia yes. yeah exactly so I don't think that that's uncommon for the era especially in the type of schooling situation and and like highly conservative Christian situation that we were raised in right but I think it's funny though it's like it doesn't matter if you take them away from kids like you're not gonna you're not going to make them not gay. You're not mm. going to make them not like the things that they like. You're just going to make them like it, like it more. Yeah, like, you're going to make them like it, and you're going to make them like it in secret. Like, I, well, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, <laughs> talking about, you know, that's the whole premise of collecting is that a lot of times it's because I was thinking about this. You know, when as kids, we were told we can't have something. Of course, we wanted it that much more. But going back to the whole show and tell, you know, week, and I was 11 years old, and Star I brought... Star Attraction, by Star the way. Star Attraction. Oh, sorry. It's burned sorry. Into burned into my brain because of the incident. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, for me, it's like, okay, so this show and tell, spotlight, Star Attraction, whatever you want to call it, you know, it was just, hey... Bring the thing that you collect. Okay, other people brought like little plush toys. Some people brought books. I brought my doll collection and I saw nothing wrong with it. And of course, Chris is freaking out over here because he's like, you, 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 you can't bring your doll collection. And, uh, you know, here I am. I'm like, I don't give a damn. Like, I'm going to do what I want. And so, again, I mean, we, we've talked about this, but. You know, there was so much shame associated with doll collecting and playing with dolls and being a boy that 
you know, going back to the very early age, I mean, recently I was just going through my storage unit and and my doll collection. And it's like looking at some of these, I was like, wow, you know, some of these Ariel dolls, like I remember not that particular one, but like I first had that when I was three years old. So, you know, doll collecting has been a part of my life since a very young age. And so I was never really, you know, ashamed of having those types of toys. And so you know, bringing my jewel writers to school, I know that that was something that was like, oh my goodness, like, I-, I can't believe a boy would bring his doll collection to school. But I think that that's just the way I was. And I know that you and I have had a lot of personal conversations regarding this, but, you know, on on social media, it's almost like it's become now so acceptable for, you know, anyone, whether they be boy, girl, non-binary, whatever, to have a toy collection, to have a doll collection, you know, whatever it is, it just, it seems more and more acceptable and more and more the norm, which is fantastic. But it's just so funny, again, talking about this era where, you know, an Amethyst comic could be seen as a threat to two little boys. Now, if the teacher had actually gone through and read some of this, like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> Maybe you know, he would have decided it was a worthwhile threat. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, you know, like, OK, like this is obviously like it's talking about rape and like, you know, these these people are being consumed and like, you know, there's violence and things like that. Like, OK, I think from a actual like childhood kind of like a. You know, trying to um, watch what the kids are or are not reading. Like, okay, maybe that might have been something. But just because of the fact that it was like, oh, there's a girl on here riding a a winged unicorn. Like, obviously, that's seen as, you know, something that could be a threat. Like, that, I think, is just the ridiculous part. But I know that was a little bit of a sidestep. But I think that it all goes back to our history with this character that basically... It's kind of like the, I don't want to say the Holy Trinity, but it's like the original three. So in that original era of growing up and loving jewel writers, it was Princess Guinevere and the Jewel Riders, Tenko and the Guardians of the Magic, and Amethyst, Princess of Gem World. So it's the, so what the I'm original. Is Amethyst is is Magical Girl, the father, and Jewel Riders is magical girl the son <laughs> tenko is magical girl the holy ghost the holy nobody s- know who she is exactly there we go oh my gosh ridiculous in the name of the the father son and the holy spirit amen so it, it's like there's so much just kind of personal history with this when we talk about these things because i mean i remember looking at the panels of the artwork and that's you know, that's something that Chris always, you know, jokes around with me because he's like, did you actually read something or did you just look at the pictures? Because whether it's a golden book or a big picture book or a comic book, for me, it's all about the pictures. A coloring book. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I just, I love the artwork. And that's why I collect publishings because I love the art. Whereas you actually read these things, you know, me, it's like, yes, I have this DVD. Yes, I have this book. Have I ever watched it? Have I ever read it? Well, not yet. And maybe I'll have time the next decade. But it basically took me, what, 28 years Mm -hmm. to finally 
to finally read these comics. So, yes, that's my admission for the day. My God. Yeah. So Amethyst (laughs) actually debuted not in her opening issue. There was a little, like, preview issue tucked into an issue of the Legion of Superheroes, Mm -hmm. kind of advertising her. And I have not been able to track one of those down yet. Of course, those are all things that I had when we were younger and since then have gotten rid of. So I do have the maxi series, but I remember because I was just looking at some of the other artwork. I there is the later series. And actually, I had all of those because now that I look at the covers on them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had that one. So I had the extended you know, series. I had the preview series. I had everything. And I'm somewhere along the lines, like my original Jewel Rider dolls. Stupidly, I sold them. So that's how. And now regret. Magical regret. Of course. Of course. So, yes. So going back to Amethyst and just, you know, reading this, um, It's not only something that I think, obviously, like, they were, okay, like, how can we target our, you know, our girl audience? But it it really also reads, like, okay, like, there's gay little boys out there that are going to love this. Like, how do we, whether they knew it or not, it's like, you know, there's this hot Prince Carnelian and Prince Topaz and these very muscle-bound men featured in these shows. Like, again, it goes back to the whole, you know, superhero idea. Like, why is it that it's quote-unquote gay for a little boy to play with a Barbie doll, but playing with this beefed-up beefcake of an action figure is not gay? Why? I will never know. Like, I think wrestling figures are the gayest thing ever. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like this half—it's more than half-naked. It's this naked man in a loincloth, and somehow this is perfectly acceptable for straight boys. Than Wonder Woman. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I don't get it. But, I mean, you know, there you go. (laughs) But, yes, like, I found myself a little lustful after Carnelian. I have to admit that's, it. That's interesting. I, I was wondering if you would find him highly attractive. Of course. He has facial hair, and he's kind of like a bad boy. I mean, of course. Yeah, he's a he's a great character. Yeah, he's sort of... So, we should explain who Carnelian is. He's, he's, kind, he's kind of an inverse amethyst. Mm-hmm. So, he was born on Earth. And somehow ends up in the gem world and is raised as the adopted son of Dark Opal. Mm-hmm. But he has no magic, so he's always inventing machinery and, you know, other things to do his bidding. And and he, along with Sardonyx, who is Dark Opal's associate, are kind of like the trio, I would say, of, of the big bads in the series. Mm-hmm. Although there is another, you know presence three different ones that are there as well mm-hmm. but um what i was going to say about carnelian is i do have a question about that because he brings back things basically from earth and it's like if he was raised 
there. So we're assuming he was brought there as a child. Like, how does he know about all this stuff? Or, like, does he have a way of going back and forth between worlds? I don't know if that's answered later in the series. Because, again, I've only read the first 12. But I'm like, that was a little confusing to me. You know, in the ongoing series, he actually comes back to Earth for periods of time. I see. And when he goes back to Earth, he also is like, you know, 13 or 14. Oh, okay. And he becomes, you know, Carl. Carl? (laughs) That does not do it for me. Carnelian, yes. No, And he sort of terrorizes Amethyst in the real world. See, no, Carl. You're done it, Carl. That's it. Yeah, we can't do that. I mean... Carnelian. There has to be a different deviation of the name. Anyway, um, I was really upset that Amethyst and Carnelian did not get together because there was so much amazing play in there between the two. And I think that this goes back to like Drake and Guinevere and how she ends up with Ian. Like I see Topaz as Ian. Like Aww. I do. I really do. He's like the, you know, the blonde pretty boy and you and I'm just like no, we don't want him. Sorry Ian fans, but it's just like there's so many tropes that I think I don't know if they were original to Amethyst. Maybe they were happening elsewhere in the world and beforehand, but it's just there's so many things that like we could talk about that are similar, like whether it is the whole idea about the fact that jewels hold kind of this world in balance and that each one is representative of a different world and that, you know, they have to collect the jewels and that they can even bring them together and use kind of like a, a super or as jewel writers did the one jewel to basically defeat the villain and the fact that the villain is seeking out you know uh, maybe like each jewel to create ultimate power like there's so many elements in here and the fact that the world is ruled essentially by the villain it, it's all very shira it's jewel writers it's tanko it's it's kind of like you know any quest series and i found myself now because after i already admitted this now i'm like i want to watch more of the original shira i want to finish up the amethyst series i mean i want to watch more of these magical girls series because it really kind of invigorated me and it and it was like this was really a series as small as it was with only 12 issues I connected to it and I told you this outside of the podcast that there was even a point where it almost made me tear up. Like I, I felt for the characters and I think that it goes back to, you know, even as early as Snow White where the animators are having a conversation and like, well, won't a fall like that kill her when they realize they're worried about killing a drawing. Like when you see one of the characters die in this I was really moved by it, and it actually got me choked up. Um, It probably didn't help that 
Okay, we've talked about this before as well, and I and I did the same thing with Avalon Web of Magic when we did the reading. I have to listen to music because to me, being a you know a creative, when I read a book, it's not just like I I can't like skim across a page and just read the entire thing. It has to have music. It has sound effects. It has voices. I have narration. Like, it's the full thing. I picture the the things going on in my head. I don't know if you do the full stuff like that, but everything happens in my well, head. I, I don't almost, make a sound effect in I verbally. Yes. But. No, not verbally, but like <laughs> in my head, I listen to it. I like, and I hear these things happening. So like all these things are very vivid in my very, you know, I'm an actor brain. So, you know, that's the way I hear these things. And so I think that that's why it made it that much more real. Just out of curiosity, which character death are you speaking of? Now you're asking me to remember the character's name. I mean, it it meant something in the moment, but it was Granch, I think. Yeah, that's who it was. Okay, yeah, because Granch is was Granch is such a great character. He is he's Amethyst's protector, but and, he's Dark Opal's child. Right, he's Dark Opal's like literal biological child and they don't reveal that for several issues he's just sort of this like tall imposing ogre like character but it's he's this really noble character to come out of such like a horrible parentage and there's a whole subplot of like the other cast off children of dark opal that goes into it and yeah i was i was upset that they killed him mm-hmm. i was like he's such a good balancing character so see it, you were moved too absolutely yeah you, you know, know and, this, and, and this is a series with not a low body count let's just say that right up front like you know there's there's major character death throughout this whole series which again brings me to the idea of like Okay, did 10-year-old girls really want to read about the ogre son of an evil overlord mm-hmm. nobly sacrificing himself to save right. others? Like, You know, and I, and I do, this also makes me think, I mean, we got to think about it in the time period. This was the 80s, as we talked about. So fantasy was very much in vogue. And not only these Magical Girls series and, and you know, like how we talked about in those mainstream shows but this also made me want to watch things like the black cauldron and it made me very reminiscent of a lot of the animated magical things that were happening around this time like the hobbit and you know all these very dark fantasies so i think that's the other thing is is that you know when we think fantasy i mean there was even elements of like lord of the rings like that oh, kind of like you know that i saw it was very it was very influential and so it made me want to revisit a lot of these properties and and to watch some of these movies again because it was like wow like i've forgotten how much i love fantasy 
I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, that I didn't know that I didn't. It's just, you know, when you read things like this, it's it's great to be reinvigorated with that love. And um, so, yeah, just talking about like Shira, that was the music that I was listening to. So I was listening to the new series soundtrack. I was listening to the instrumentals that are available on YouTube. And so it played a good soundtrack for Amethyst, which I thought was really interesting that I was using Shira's reboot which was directly inspired by She-Ra, which was obviously probably was in debt to Amethyst because, as I said, Mattel was promoting He-Man in the Amethyst comics. So I'm sure that this was a good springboard for Mattel to be like, hey, if this could work, let's make another magical, you know, let's make another character. So it was all just full circle and everything's, you know, related to everything. But Dark Opal also... Another thing it's 80s um, property, <laughs> Happily Ever After. Do you remember the, the evil queen's brother who is yes. the villain? L- Lord Malice? Yes. Dark Opal reminds me a lot of Lord Malice. Oh, that's Malice. hilarious. Does he not? He does now that you say that. Right. So it's just, it's so funny to me because I feel like there's so many properties that were influenced by Amethyst. I think this this truly, I think, is so underappreciated. I mean, we've talked, you know, again, personal conversations, but we were talking about Marvel's kind of IP library and how when Disney acquired it, they basically made million-dollar movies out of relatively unmined, you know, books like Ant-Man and and things like that. And it's like, I do wonder if there was a, a big corporation like a Disney that had bought DC, you know, would they have used Amethyst because she's so underused? Like, could that have been the next summer blockbuster was an amethyst trilogy or more like she has such potential i'm sad that they never made a real movie in the 80s like i love the the supergirl movie like imagine if this was a movie like that would have been amazing still could be Mm-hmm. you know amethyst like you were saying earlier with the 80s fantasy it's a very specific flavor it's a dark fantasy flavor even when it looks light at first there's yeah, the a, there's a like an underlying <laughs> darkness there, whether that's, you know, return to Oz or oh. the Dark Crystal. Right. Or Labyrinth, like, you know, the uh, last unicorn. The 80s were so scary for a child. Yeah, I mean, there, there's things in those that, you know, how many memes on Instagram would be like, I got scarred as a child from these fantasies. Right. And I think, you know, you can add Amethyst to those lists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't even remember where we were going with this. I got such a backtrack, like, <laughs> talking about Carnelian and Dark Opal and very dark 80s. But like I said, it just, it really made me really fall in love with the series. And now I want to continue reading it. I want to read the next issues. I'm sad I don't have them anymore. Oh. I know. Yeah, if you want to read these today, 
They are all available on Kindle and Comixology and so forth. Um, the original Maxi series is available as well as the ongoing series, all, I believe, uh, 17 issues of that. And the annual that sort of bridges them. And. But there is a 1987 follow up that is not available, so go. You'll have to go hunting in the dollar store bandits bin for those if you can ever find them. I wonder if that was the series that I originally had, probably. Because you said it was first the Maxi series, and then what was the next one? So there's the Maxi series, which is followed by an annual. Yeah. And that annual sort of sets things up for the ongoing series and what happens there. That runs for 16 issues with like a sort of special follow-up, like 17th issue. Oh, who knows? That ends it, and then... I think that ends somewhere in 1986, and then in 87, they do a four-issue kind of follow-up. If anyone wants to gift Ronnie with things, these can be things that you could gift me. (laughs) Just putting it out there. How much do you love me? (laughs) I bring joy to you through each podcast. (laughs) Sadly, these have never been collected in a color trade paperback format. Which is ridiculous. Which blows because, my mind. Uh, you already gave me your reasoning, but go ahead and tell them. So they have been collected in one of DC's showcase editions. Now, these are fat, like, phone book-sized books that are printed on like low-quality paper, and they're printed in black and white. And it kills me, because in a series where color, and specifically the color of gems plays such a big role to have this series in black and white is so weird. And it's like, while it's great, if you want to appreciate Ernie Colon's like amazing artwork, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but, but why, why have they never released the original series in a trade? I think it would be like an easy sell to make like a nice like deluxe hardcover and collect all 12 issues in there and that's like a complete thing like whether or not they release the ongoing series which i feel is a little inferior to the maxi series it's my gosh i really wish i could have a nice color edition of that maxi series printed i don't know if i had all of them but i'm looking at them right now and i know i had this annual i remember that Mm -hmm. um the annual is like one of my favorite covers and then but then the other ones i don't remember some of these like there's an additional amethyst princess of gem world and i don't recognize these this one says 85 to 86 so i don't know that i actually had all the original ones but like i recognize some of them oh well Seems me something that we're going to have to go down the rabbit hole. Um, I <laughs> So I've got so many questions now, and I don't even know how to organize myself. But, like, I want to get your take on the story as a whole. I want to ask about merchandise. I want to ask about the additional kind of ongoing story that you read as well so i don't know whatever you feel like goes next like but i i just have i have so many questions so 
I guess we could just kind of take it as it goes. All right. Do you want to know about like the story as a whole of just the maxi series or just yes. the entire thing? So let's start because I just read the maxi series and that's something that I can actually add to. Yeah. So I, I want to hear your take on it. Like what, you know, kind of a synopsis for people. I t- we talked about that we would be giving away some of the things. We won't we won't say anything that's unnecessary to say, but like you know, just kind of generalized story. Since you are the writer, I want to hear your perspective. Right. Hold on, let me just pull up the covers here. Sounds like the sound effect of when you call a company and they have an automated person. Like, <laughs> hold on, I'm looking that up. And it, like, it yeah, has sorry, the, my mechanical the keyboard is so loud. <laughs> so the like we were saying earlier, the basic story follows Amethyst as she comes to Gemworld. She has to unite the houses, the great houses of the Gemworld, to help. Try and defeat Dark Opal because currently they're living in a situation much like in Shira, where they're sort of living under the boot of the evil character. Mm-hmm. You know, like like they send off like one of the Emerald Princesses, and she like gets killed by him as like almost like like a sacrifice. Well, we don't know what happened. Right. See, I. I had this very adult idea that because he's like, you know, he's had basically women father children for him before. And that's where, you know, all of Granch's brothers and sisters come into play. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what happens to those women afterwards? And I didn't know if they got killed, if they died in childbirth, if they just went back to their world. I remember something about them dying in childbirth because of like the monstrous children. So what my very adult take on this was that dark opal tried to have his way with the Emerald princess and that she died. Mm, I, mean, of it. I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad no, idea. Like, you know, is he so horrific? Like, you know, something happened and it's, it's very, I mean, it's also, since we were talking about wonder woman, it, it's very actually mythology based as well because it almost again 80s fantasy it makes me think of clash of the titans how the um the sun was turned into kind of this monstrous figure and he lives in the swamp by himself it's almost like a granch character Hmm. i don't know that's just my random thought yeah so through throughout the series amethyst visits these other houses she gets allies there are houses like sapphire and sardonyx that are more allied with dark opal and but amethyst gets big allies with turquoise the lady turquoise who was like a pre she was tamara she's tamara (laughs) yeah she's she's like a feisty redhead Mm -hmm. she's kind of a pre-merida badass and she obviously has her sort of relationship with Prince Topaz. So there's allies there. And and I think her biggest ally is Lord Garnet. Mm-hmm. He's like a older character who kind of becomes almost a, another mentor figure for Amethyst. But he also mentored her father as well, Lord Amethyst. Right. Yeah, so he's so he's like much on the older side, but very much like the hale and hardy like 
warrior old man character. I almost thought they were going to kill him, and then they didn't. And I was, like, relieved, but unlike Grant, I actually probably wouldn't have cared if he died. Right. Funny. I mean, the, the Grant is more tragic because of the whole circumstance surrounding. Right. right. So, but we should also mention that Lord Garnet is the one who gives Amethyst her alicorn. Yes. And Which doesn't have a name. It doesn't <laughs> have a name. I want to say... Horse. <laughs> I want to say it, if you read the purple prose, like, letter sections at the end of actually the comics, I want to say there's, like, a f- fan write-in thing for, like, naming the horse. Interesting. I didn't read any of them. I didn't, you know. Yeah, the digital editions that I read do not, unfortunately, include the purple prose section, mm. which made me a little upset. But, you know, it's one of those artifacts. And we should mention also uh, the editor of the series, Karen Berger, who also was, you know, answering those letters, is the woman who went on to found the DC imprint Vertigo, which is the imprint that brought us things like Sandman, you know, of now Netflix and Audible and a very popular series. So, you know, she goes on from Amethyst to do like some really cool stuff. If you ever look into her career. Speaking of writers, you had mentioned something else. Did you want to talk about um, something about gem and jewel writers? Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, Okay. Okay. When that's related to one of the later series and reboots. Okay. But I can answer one of your questions, namely about merchandise. Oh, are we already there? Okay. Well, no, let's let's finish the Yeah, let's the finish series. This, yes, at least the 12 series, yes. Yeah. So over the course of the series, like we were saying, she gains allies. Dark Opal has this plot to basically rule the gem world by creating a breastplate that holds pieces of all 12 gems. And I think the piece he's missing is the amethyst, of course, which he does eventually get a piece of. But he has allies, like sort of extra dimensional allies. I think they're called the emissaries of Varn. Mm-hmm. They're these hooded figures that can basically their face is just a big black hole that can suck things in. And. You know, it's always kind of like a push and pull, like. Is Dark Opal indebted to them for his power and, you know, evil betraying evil and so forth? Like, he doesn't want to pay his debt to them. And it kind of proves to be his part of his undoing in the end. I thought the end was a little underwhelming. I wanted more. Like, I want... I want... Prince Eric to ram the damn ship into Ursula. I, I want to see not only her get impaled, but then her electrocuted and sizzle. Like, those are the best type of, you know, villain kind of comeuppances. I think, like, even as children, we want to see violence. Like, we want to see, you know, the Maleficent dragon impaled and, like, fall over the ledge. Like, I, I think the Dark Opal's death, I don't know. Was it underwhelming? 
Was it not? I don't know. You know, I know, like, I I can see what they're going for thematically. Like, he's really undone by his own evil choices. It's also very Black Cauldron, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he's kind of sucked in, essentially. But yeah, I mean, do you want to see Amethyst sort of stab him at some point? Yeah. like Right. Like... Although <laughs> is it her is her hero's journey not sort of as complete right without triumphing like, over him it felt like she really at the end of the day had nothing to do with how he actually died or how he's defeated maybe my own interpretation of the situation but like she does in the end, like she plays an integral part, kind of the again that one jewel idea. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Just at least from what I took away from it. Well, I mean, in some ways, it's very reflective of how Kale is defeated in Jewel Riders. And that was a well. Oh, wait, you mean the first or the second time? The second time. <laughs> in the, in because that again the is the same way. It's like. You know, the first time, it's like, okay, like, the girls work together, and it's been, you know, after looking for, you know, a um, a, a way to actually collect all the jewels, and then, you know, Kale, in the end, like, you know, seems to win, but then they kind of, you know, are able to defeat her, and that was very satisfying, whereas the second way, it's very unsatisfying. Like, you're just like, What? What? She's stone cold. That is... She's a rock. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, just uh, That's... It's it's, it's almost like she deserves better than that. Like, you know... Mm -hmm. Like, I, I recently watched the new Renfield movie. And at the end of the movie, like, my God. They literally, like destroy and there is so much like violent gratification at the end with the villain it's like i almost felt like dude did we was he really deserving of all that (laughs) like that was a bit much like so it's kind of the same way you're like there needs to be a balance here like sometimes you do like the villains where you're like it's almost like they warrant or they deserve a little bit better of a death. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what I'll have to say about that. Yeah, it's like you want the hero, you want them to have the sort of satisfaction of of defeating their enemy themselves. Right. Which is like, I don't know how I really feel about a 13-year-old girl stabbing an evil overlord. But I also don't know how I feel about a 13-year-old girl having a semi-relationship with the prince. Right. Well, I mean, if Snow White could be 14 and apparently Florian's 18 or something. Right. Anything's possible. This was was a better time. (laughs) In the world of magic, anything is possible. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I feel like we have so much to say and I can't fit it all in like one episode. Yeah, so I think we're going to have a two-parter here. So thank you everyone for listening to part one of Amethyst Princess of Gemworld.
40th anniversary. 40th anniversary, yeah. And if you're and if you haven't caught up, now is a great time to go to Comixology and Amazon and get some digital issues. And or eBay and buy the or eBay for some for some physical issues that may crumble apart in your hands. <laughs> but wear your white glove. Exactly. All right. Well, if you want to find out more from the Jewel Writers Archive, you can find us at jewelwritersarchive.com or on any social media at Jewel Writers or at Jewel Writers Archive. And if you want to hear more from the podcast, you can find us on any major podcast platform or our home on Podbean. And as we always like to say at the end of our episodes, friends together. Friends forever. forever. Yay! And now we're friends with Amethyst. <laughs> you know, she doesn't have a catchphrase. I was just going to say something like her catchphrase, but she doesn't have one. So, purple power. Purple power? Sure, that could work. We'll think of something for episode <laughs> yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, bye everyone. Have bye. a magical day. Bye.